When it opened for traffic on November the 13th, 1927, New York's Holland Tunnel was not only the world's very first mechanically ventilated underwater vehicle tunnel, but it was also the largest of its type. This masterpiece of a roadway was named after Clifford M. Holland, the visionary who designed it, with a north tube of 8,558 feet and a south tube of 8,371 feet long, it reaches a depth of 93.4 feet below the water level with a road surface that's 20 feet wide. The Holland Tunnel is notable in length, but it was also considered an incredible achievement of engineering. Today, we explore the story of the Holland Tunnel. I'm your host, Ryan Sokash, and you're watching It's History. Today, we will discuss one of New York's most impressive examples of engineering, an endeavor that indeed required the type of knowledge that at one time was not widely available. However, things have changed, which is why I'm proud to announce that this video is brought to you by Brilliant. The best way to learn anything is by doing it yourself. Learn interactively with Brilliant's fun, hands-on lessons in math, science, and computer science. Interactive learning helps you learn six times more efficiently than watching lecture videos. I enjoyed The Physics of Every Day, a course that investigates everyday physics from household objects to weather patterns, and I'm sure they have a class perfect for your passion. So join the millions of people already learning on Brilliant with a special offer just for our viewers. Head to brilliant.org slash its history to get started for free with Brilliant's interactive lessons. The first 200 viewers will also get 20% off an annual membership. And now, back to the Holland Tunnel. From steam ferries to railroads and subways, there is little question about the impact that transportation has had on the life of New Yorkers. With millions of people riding transit lines across the city every day, it is truly a critical part of life. However, there was a time when there were only a few options connecting Manhattan to New Jersey. Back in the day, sides of the river boomed with waterfront factories and markets, as primary transportation option was cargo-carrying barges and ferries. The port system of the overcrowded Hudson River profited from the congestion, but travelers suffered, finding themselves stuck with long commuting times and incredibly heavy traffic. The introduction of automobiles also contributed to traffic pileups. With the sheer amount of people in the city traveling, streets often became clogged. So a pressure valve was needed. The solution was something that seemed impossible at the time, a vehicle tunnel that ran under the Hudson River, diverting a large amount of both traffic that blocked streets and the overwhelming amount of waterbound vehicles that carried thousands of busy New Yorkers across the Hudson. Before we get into the construction of the Holland Tunnel itself, it is essential to note that it wasn't the first underwater tube in New York. One of the tunnels that preceded it was the Jerlman Street Tube, which connected Bowling Green in Lower Manhattan to the Brooklyn Borough Hall. It first opened as a subway route that ran five-minute trips at a cost of five cents. Prior to the Jerlman Street Tube's opening, a back-and-forth shuttle train carried the bulk of passengers who commuted across the Brooklyn Bridge. This shuttle was so incredibly crowded during rush hour that it was often called the Bridge Crush. On one occasion, the New York Times sent two reporters on a race from its office in Times Square to Brooklyn and back, one on the subway and the other on the shuttle. According to the Gothamist, 
One of the New York Times writers recalled the following, the new tunnel means that dinner can be served on time, which is a condition not existing in Brooklyn now, if the wage earner is compelled to use the bridges during rush hours. However, while the two proved the effectiveness of underwater travel, Clifford Milbourne Holland's masterpiece of engineering would by far be one of the most ambitious projects in all of the city's history. So let's take a look at its ingenious design. The plans for a crossing over the Hudson River first started in 1906, after state commissions in New York and New Jersey collaborated to construct one or more bridges connecting New York City to New Jersey. At that time, the majority of the New Jersey Interstate Bridge and Tunnel Commission and the New York State Bridge and Tunnel Commission's focus was planning out the bridge to be. However, one of the tunnel's first supporters, J. V. Pond Davies, the president of the ASCE New York section in 1921 and 1922, estimated the cost of both projects in the same location. He found in 1913 that a bridge would cost a staggering 50 million, while a tunnel would only cost 10 million. Due to this estimate, the state commissions would delay planning until it was finally decided against a bridge, as it was not possible to support economically. Not only would it need incredible deep foundations dug into the ground to reach bedrock, but it would also require an immense amount of land to be purchased to create approaches for such a long bridge. However, while the decision to construct a tunnel underneath the Hudson would help relieve traffic and solve financial concerns, there was one outstanding problem. Other forms of mass transit, such as subway, could run through underground tunnels for long periods of time thanks to their electrified tracks. On the other hand, automobiles produced deadly amounts of carbon monoxide that could quickly become lethal at a depth of almost 100 feet under the water. The carbon monoxide would become trapped, building up to be deadly for motorists who drove through it, risking asphyxiation. Solving this problem during the planning was no easy feat, requiring the genius of multiple different engineers, all brought together under chief engineer Clifford Milburn Holland. Holland was just 36 years old when he was appointed as the project's chief engineer. Holland's background in underwater tunnel construction spoke for itself. By the time he was put to work in 1919, he had designed four subway tunnels across the East River. These tunnels were the BTM Montague, 14th Street, 60th Street tunnels, and the IRT Clark Street tunnel. Holland was also a Harvard graduate with a Bachelor of the Arts and a Bachelor of Science both in civil engineering. Alongside Ol Singstan, a Norwegian-American civic engineer, as the project's design engineer, and Milton Freeman, the resident engineer and construction supervisor, the task set before Holland was incredibly daunting. During the early stages of the tunnel's planning, 11 different concepts were proposed. The first of these plans was a bi-level tunnel 31 feet in diameter by the Jacob and Davies firm. Even the chief engineer of the Panama Canal, George W. Gothels, drew up a design proposal. His design suggested a single concrete line tube with two levels that had three traffic lanes running through it. On the other hand, Holland's plans indicated that rather than using a single tube, 
two twin tubes could be implemented instead. These tubes would be lined with cast iron and have only a single deck with two lanes of traffic. Holland's plan would win out in the end, and as things were being finalized and discussed, many other engineers were hard at work trying to come up with an effective ventilation system. The design of the ventilation system required an incredible amount of work and research on behalf of multiple different institutions. These institutions included the Bureau of Mines in Pittsburgh, which determined the composition of motor gas, and the University of Illinois to determine the amount of power needed to operate the ventilation system, and even Yale University, which studied the effects of carbon monoxide on humans. Around that same time, Holland would travel overseas to Europe to research ventilation systems of English, German, and Scottish tunnels. The ASCE Metropolitan Section reports that at the time of these studies, it was concluded that to operate safely, the tunnel would need to have a pressurized airflow rate of 27 cubic meters per second throughout the tunnel. To put this into perspective, the acceptable standard of carbon monoxide content was four parts per 10,000 parts of air. On opening day, the average count in the tunnel was just 0.69 parts per 10,000 parts of air, with its highest being just 1.60. This led many New Yorkers to proclaim that the air quality in the tunnel was better than the air quality in the city itself. This new ventilation system would challenge the conventions of previous ventilation systems in railroad tunnels. These old ventilation systems would blow air from one portal to another. However, this was not feasible for a vehicle tunnel as it needed gale force winds exceeding 70 miles per hour always blowing through the tunnel to clear the exhaust from vehicles, which could be a massive fire hazard, especially in such an enclosed environment. To work, the Holland Tunnel needed a completely new system, a system in which clean air would be readily supplied through an air duct below the roadway. There were openings to this air duct in intervals, and an exhaust duct ran above the airway to remove the fumes from the tunnel. This also reduced the fire risk, as the spread of flames would be confined thanks to the air being drawn straight up. Two ventilation buildings were placed on either side of the Hudson, housing 84 fans in total. One half of the fans are used to pump clean air into the tunnel, and the other half are used as exhaust fans. Only 56 of the fans are operational at a time, with the remaining fans being reserved for emergencies. Each fan is 80 feet in diameter. However, before they were ready to start building, they had to be sure that this would work. To evaluate how effective the new ventilation system would be, the Bureau of Mines constructed a 400-foot-long scale model. Once it was complete, the final touches were put on the design, and the time had finally come to start the incredible project. When construction of the tunnel officially began on March the 31st, 1922, with a groundbreaking ceremony, the Holland Tunnel was known as the Hudson River Vehicular Tunnel. Construction was a massive project, with the use of caissons and pneumatic shields, the latter of which were pneumatically pushed through the river bottom to dig through mud and serve as the shell for the actual tunnel. Compressed air inside the caissons was pumped to pressurize the interior to keep dirt and water outside, making it possible for workers called sand hogs to excavate parts of the tunnel and place cast iron rings as wall support. 
workers spent large amounts of time underwater in caissons with pressure up to 47.5 pounds per square inch. Well, there were 528 cases of a sickness called the Benz, also referred to in our video on the Brooklyn Bridge, caused by the release of nitrogen bubbles in the blood by a rapid decompression. Miraculously, no men died due to the illness itself. However, the tunnel's construction was not without tragedy. 13 workers had died between 1921 and 1924. As time went on, the job became safer with improved techniques, but two more disasters would occur before the Holland Tunnel finally opened. The first of these deaths was none other than the chief engineer himself, Clifford Holland. Five years into work on the tunnel, the immense amounts of stress from his job led to a nervous breakdown. It is widely speculated that the long hours spent in the pressurized air of the tubes may have affected his mental health. Holland remained in a Michigan sanitarium for the rest of his life, but he died of heart disease on October the 27th, 1924. He was just 41 years old, and his death came two days before the New York and New Jersey ends of the tube were meant to meet. Out of respect for him, the tunnel was renamed in his honor, and even today, it remains one of few major works of engineering that was named after its engineer. In the wake of Holland's death, Milton Freeman was assigned to be the chief engineer of the tunnel, but again, tragedy would strike, as mere months later, Freeman would die from acute pneumonia on March the 24th, 1925. His successor was Oli Singstan, who would oversee the construction until its completion. Though Singstan's success didn't just stop with the Holland Tunnel, he went on to design all of New York City's underwater vehicle tunnels, the Lincoln Tunnel, the Queens Midtown Tunnel, and the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel. Singstan also worked on the Baltimore Harbor Tunnel and served as the president of the ACE Met Section in 1934 and 1935. Finally, after years of grueling construction, the Holland Tunnel formally opened on November the 12th, 1927. President Calvin Coolidge used a golden telegraph key from his yacht in the Potomac River to part the giant American flags over the entrance to the tunnel, opening the way for 20,000 people to walk through the tunnel and admire it in all of its glory. The tunnel remained open to the public to tour on foot for two hours, and at midnight, it was open to vehicles with 51,694 cars passing through it on opening day. The first car to enter the Holland Tunnel from Manhattan carried the chairman of New York State's Bridge and Tunnel Commission, along with the widows of Clifford Holland and Milton Freeman. The New York Entrance Plaza remains a monument to the memory of Freeman. It was named Freeman Square in his honor. It cost $48.5 million to build in total, with expenses that New York and New Jersey shared. The Holland Tunnel was a massive success, helping lighten the load for both water traffic and city traffic, especially when it came to the overtaxed ferry system. The ASCE Metropolitan Section took 18 minutes to travel, with motorists waiting for hours at a time. It also broke through the barrier between New York and New Jersey trade, paving the way for an efficiency once thought to be impossible. In 1930, the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey took control of the tunnel, but not the property title. And although this tunnel still thrives today, it was not without incident throughout its history. On May the 13th, 
1949, a chemical truck loaded with 80 drums of carbon disulfide that were both poisonous and extremely flammable exploded inside the tunnel. The power of the fans made things worse by fanning the flames. In the end, it cost $600,000 in damage, destroyed 23 trucks, and injured over 60 people, though thankfully, nobody was killed. This situation was a catalyst for a worldwide crackdown on chemical and explosive transportation standards to avoid similar incidents. However, this was not the last time the Holland Tunnel would be threatened by fire. In 2002, a fire erupted in an abandoned warehouse near the western entrance. The Manhattan-bound lanes were closed off for several hours to deal with the fire, causing massive backups and delays for motorists. Today, over 1 billion vehicles have traveled the length of the Holland Tunnel. Between 1927 and 1970, the toll for drivers to pass was 50 cents each way. However, in recent years, this toll has climbed as over 100,000 vehicles pass through daily. In 1984, the Holland Tunnel was officially recognized for its incredible contributions to engineering and underwater tunnel building and designated as a National Civil and Mechanical Engineering Landmark by the American Society of Civil and Mechanical Engineers. In 1993, the Holland Tunnel was designated as a National Historic Landmark. Between 1927 and 2005, $536 million were invested in the maintenance of the Holland Tunnel. Then, between 2003 and 2006, its fire protection system was modernized. With nine total lanes, 3.1 million ceiling tiles, and 2.9 million wall tiles, the Holland Tunnel is without a doubt prestigious, both inside and out. And while it has since been replaced as the longest underwater tunnel, it remains a critical part of New York City's transportation to this very day. But when I'm in the tri-state area, I like to use the Lincoln Tunnel, which might make a very fascinating part two to this video. So let me know if you'd like to see that by subscribing right now. And don't forget to check out our New York City history playlist. This is Ryan Sokash, signing off.